and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. There's a man going round taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. The hairs on your arm will stand up at the terror in each sip. Welcome to Movie Left, a Move Left Idiots podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montarulo. Uh, joined by my uh, co-host this week, uh, Comrade uh, Sabretooth. Comrade, what's going on? <laughs> That's sort of like a vampire, a little bit. You, yeah, it's, I, I should have said, yeah. you know, said Comrade Liev Schreiber would have been would have been a better. <laughs> uh, I'm doing good. I um I I haven't been caught up in this current Twitter purge. Knock on wood. Cross my fingers. Thoughts and no, prayers. Hashtag. Pour some out for Candace. Uh, who? Yeah. Uh, Candace once again has bit the corn cob dust. She 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 went into that corn cob into that cornfield and like that at the end of Field of Dreams that all the players <laughs> walk into. Yeah. <laughs> Only no one's sad yeah. that she's gone. Yeah, know? nobody's sad. Yeah, well, you know, spe- speaking of movies that make grown men cry, uh, the movie we're covering today uh, is the 2017 uh, James Mangold film, Logan. Logan, what did you do? Charles, the world is not the same as it was. Mutants. They're gone now. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. Where is she? Beneath the stain of time. Very much like you. The feeling disappear she needs our help you are someone to come along someone has come along i am still right here and you could have it all my empire of dirt i will So, so yeah, if I had to Logan. guess, I would definitely say from listening to that trailer, that's definitely a superhero movie. 
Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's that's definitely the vibe you get from that depressing. Yeah, I mean, like Iron Man's flying in and the Hulk smashing shit, and that's you know that's part of the the whole Marvel experience right there. Um, so um, yeah, this this was this was definitely um, this was very different. <laughs> I'll start there. So you know, I I, I love that, and that was the first trailer that came out for the movie. And obviously, you know, you're you're just hearing the audio, and you should seek out the trailer if you haven't seen it, but. I, I just love how sparse and uh, like different and how immediately the the trailer for this movie, the first trailer they released for this movie tells you like, this is not going to be a fucking CGI, you know, bullshit. Like it lays it out right off the bat. Like this is basically a fucking Western that just happens to feature a character that you guys love from, you know, these comic book from, movies. Yeah, from far, far inferior films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for way worse. I, I will say, I, we'll, we'll talk briefly later about the X-Men movies, but uh, there are redeeming qualities to at least the first two. So Beyond that, it's like, ugh, the but. The rest of the X-Men films are not part of the current Marvel 2.0 thing. That's, that's Fox that owns all those, right? Correct, yes. But at the but, opening of this film, you see the, the Marvel... The you know Marvel Films um, logo, uh, animated logo flash on. So was this one of theirs? No. So it's it's, it's all corporate, but like you know merging bullshit. Yeah. But so basically, <clears throat> any Marvel property has to have the Marvel logo at the beginning. Mm. Now Marvel Studios, which is which is what controls the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is the Iron Man, Avenger, all the Avengers movies, all that shit does not own the rights you know that which it, that that marvel studios is owned by disney and they don't own the rights to any of the x-men characters right now if you've been listening to the kind of mergers and acquisitions news uh disney is trying to acquire 20th century fox which then would de facto give them all the mar all the uh x-men yeah. properties well, so i can't wait actually... to watch jj abrams direct uh x-men 2.0 that's gonna be really... <laughs> <laughs> right um so well uh, so in theory they're gonna when that happens they're gonna probably bring the x-men into the avengers universe somehow whether or not it's these versions or if they're gonna kind of reboot you know with new younger x-men or whatever but um, so no, short answer, no, this is not owned by them. Um, Fox also owns the rights to Deadpool, uh, any any of the X-Men characters. And Sony mm -hmm. owns the right to the uh, Spider-Man and Fantastic Four characters. But right. then they have like a joint thing with Marvel. So yeah, uh, not in that universe. And also not, uh, it's sort of not in the universe of the, any of the other X-Men movies, even though it kind of is. Like they wanted to leave it vague. Right, to the point well, that, where it's a standalone film. That was one of the things I loved. Is you know, superhero films are so guilty of of the backstory and the origin story, and like how many times we have to see Bruce Wayne's parents get killed. Like it's just stupid. And here's a film that not only doesn't do that, but assumes the audience is smart enough to understand this is this is in the future, 2029, and doesn't explain how we got there, and only vaguely alludes to what happened you know, in these characters' lives that they're the last of the X-Men left and why they're living in seclusion. They just trust that you're smart enough. This whole film is, is it's such good fan. It's like the episode of uh, Star Trek where there was an alternate reality. They didn't explain what was going on. They just understood you would get it where there's, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's this time jump and reality changes. Um, it felt like that, where it's just like, this is for you. This is for the Uber fans who don't need an explanation that know that, this might be the future. It might not be. It doesn't matter. It's just one story. 
So uh, the movie is largely based on uh, this comic uh, arc called Old, Old Man Logan, which is essentially basically the last Wolverine yeah. story. Very loosely um, based, yeah. Very loosely. Well, it's based on that, and it's also based on this comic, The Death of Wolverine. But um, in in uh, I, I say it's mostly based on Old Man Logan because it it shares a lot of aesthetic elements, uh, things like him living in you know in the middle of a desert and then having to go on a road trip. Um, with Hawkeye in the comic, but so in mm-hmm. in the comic, what happens is that uh, Wolverine accident. Well, he kills all the X Men. So spoilers for the beginning of Old Man Logan, the comic. Right. So uh, Mysterio, who has kind of like mind control capabilities, like you know whatever, uh, tricks Logan into thinking that the that um, the uh, Academy, whatever the fuck, it's, Xavier's Academy, uh, is under attack. Uh, X-Mansion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Uh, X-Mansion. So, and then Logan in the comic uh, kills all of his fucking X-Men, you know, comrades and then, like, realizes what he's done. So he exiles himself. I hope he killed Cyclops first. I just... Yeah, I know, right? I haven't read it, but... (laughs) He's probably like, that one, uh, it's all right. That's fine. It's my favorite running thing from those movies. Yeah, and they sort of hint at that in the movie... That he well, that some the Wolverine that he did something to all the rest of the X Men, and then later on it's sort of revealed that it wasn't that that it may have yeah, been exactly. Professor Xavier who did something to kill all the X Men. So, but they never fully tell you which one is real. So, in the kind of extended reading I did about the movie, it the, the director alludes to the fact that uh, what actually killed the X Men is Xavier had a horrible, horrible seizure, and like you know, like he has in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it and it killed off a bunch of them, and Logan was able to survive because, like in the movie, he's less affected by it uh, than other people because of his healing factor. Mm. Um, but I, I think that was a little bit of a, a, a kind of a nice like red herring that the movie started making it seem like it was Logan who was, you know, uh, the one who who killed them all, and like it, they they played right. on people's knowledge of the comic <laughs> to kind of be like give you that red herring of like sure. this is why. Sure. Xavier's as fucked up as he is because well, er, you know he's been dealing with the guilt of that. Right. Now I don't. I haven't read the comic, and I you know I, I don't. You don't really need to. Um, but it's you know they said it just a little ways in the future when I when I first saw this. This was you know came out in two thousand seventeen, and it sort of plays on a few themes that were are very topical right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but upon rewatching it. Uh, again, twice in the last uh, 72 hours, it feels prolific because you know that these things take a couple years to produce and write and everything. And, um, you know, when it was being written, probably 2014, 2015, nobody knew that Trump was going to be president. <laughs> and it feels it, like there's there. It's yeah, <laughs> it, it also but it also feels like they may have tweaked elements of it to kind of fit in with once because they, they i'm assuming it was filmed in 2016 as he was oh yeah running yeah. so they it probably was like a dystopic future it was like man you know he's not gonna win but fuck if he did win this is kind of like what america would look like sort of thing well the, and that's the thing that that i always liked about the x-men was when it was started in late in the 60s late 60s you know, it was supposed to be sort of a parable for the civil rights movement, right? Where mm-hmm. yeah. these these are it's not Superman who everyone looks up to. These are heroes who are feared and hated, 
and misunderstood, but they're still trying because of who they are. Right. Exactly. Because they're mutants. Um, And, and so all the story is kind of like, you know, we, uh, you know, applying our same xenophobia and racism, but like in a, in a sort of Gene Roddenberry kind of way, you know, where we can discuss these thinly veiled. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. So, and then this film opens with, you know, after the first bloody fight scene, you have these, um, you know, two very short scenes where we see who uh, Logan's driving around his limo, you know, because he's a, a mm-hmm. rented limo driver. And I didn't notice this the first couple times I watched it, but watching it in the last two days, his first uh, customer is this guy in the back of the limo on a cell phone with this big cowboy hat. And he's he's talking to someone. He's like, "Oh yeah, hey, we had a had a great weekend, uh, had a great trip. We did a lot of killing up and down the fence." And at first you oh, think, well, that's, like... yeah, at first you think, like, well, he must be a hunter, you know, hunting animals. Uh-huh. The very next scene, though, is this group of drunk white bros screaming USA, USA at a line of, of refugees at the border crossing. Mm-hmm. So those two things together, you're like, is this guy some, the, the guy at the very beginning the, with his cowboy hat, you wonder, uh, is he really talking, he's like a, some right-wing vigilante that's literally going to the border and, and killing people, like hunting and killing people? You know, so so that setup of this being an even more racist and intolerant world um, than than even we have right now, I think, kind of is definitely a callback to the original beginning of the X Men in the '60s, where it was that was kind of what it well, what it came out of. Yeah, and and you know, it's interesting. Uh, so the and you know, the, when the movie starts, Logan and Xavier are kind of living in this border town in Mexico, which I think you know, this certainly lends credence to what you were just saying about. I, and I that didn't even occur to me honestly. I I, I kind of thought he said like we made a killing, but I I didn't realize that that's what he was actually talking about. Um, well, right, and, and then also, you, you don't really know, but it's like it. But it, then you look at the themes so of the kids ominous. in the movie, all these like you know Mexican kids that yeah. are. Well, and it also sets up, you know, the, the whole idea that, that they ultimately end up trying to flee across the border into Canada. So there, mm-hmm. it's that theme of, you know, being hunted or being a refugee or um, just, you know, it's it's throughout the whole movie. There's a lot of other themes there, but, um, you know, it's it's great that they set it up that way where it's from the very beginning, here's this ominous foreshadowing. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, also just them starting off in this border town really lends to the aesthetic of, of this pseudo-Western movie that Mangold, I think, was mm-hmm. you know, aiming for. Mm-hmm. He said that uh, the two biggest influences on this movie were Unforgiven, which you can obviously see just in the cinematography and the kind of tortured performance of uh, of everyone, but, you know, uh, Hugh Jackman especially, oh, yeah. uh, and, the, and The Wrestler, you know, the Darren Aronofsky movie. Mm-hmm. which showed like this kind of like once uh prolific you know mythical almost superhero kind of figure at, at the end of his life broken down and near death and kind of like the mortality of these like larger than life icons was kind of the yeah. theme of that movie well and even including the fact that in this world x-men comics exist and that <laughs> yeah this, i love that, this that horrible exaggeration it was like here's the here's the real scale of these people's lives is very small. You know, there's not a lot of big. You know, compare this to to a Mar- uh, an Avengers movie, and this is like y- you forget you're watching. You know, <laughs> the, a I mean, superhero this is movie completely not a superhero movie yeah. unless you knew that of these characters prior. It's like a, it, it's well, like a movie about people with like somewhat you know uh, unique abilities that happens to you know. Well, and then you look at you know some of the other big influences that I mean, it's this is there's there's a couple of of direct 
uh, callbacks to the Mad Max franchise where they when they mm-hmm. finally flee their their compound and all, there's all this you know there's like a, a sea of cars chasing after them and for a minute it feels like you're watching the Road Warrior there's even two guys on motor motorcycles on either side of their car chasing after them it's like this is Road Warrior and then they yeah. they quickly kind of nix that by you know uh, the running the gauntlet around the end of the train and then that's kind of like okay well that's over but there was just enough that you could tell and then there's a second callback to um, well, actually, two more to uh, when they're when they're lifting Logan up with the uh, the uh, on like the uh, emergency the bed thing. up the yeah, yeah. It, it's it's very similar to when um, you know Mad Max's car blows up and he has to he gets like airlifted by the gyro captain mm-hmm. and you see and they him cut his like hair, don't they? Yeah, well, that's actually in the next movie in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Same thing. He gets, he gets like found and rescued by a bunch of little kids who give him a, him give him a makeover, right? So it's like very, very, very similar. And you know, I would argue that that Mad Max is definitely a modern day western. All of those films are very much a modern western. The other film that's very similar also is also directed by James Mangold is Copland, which stars Sylvester Stallone as an over the hill cop who's trying to basically bust a bunch of it's other about Twitter, corrupt- right? corrupt cops <laughs> no. um, and it's a phenomenal film and you watch it and it's like this is a modern day western I remember when it came out it was, I, I was in amber with how good it was because it's like Sylvester Stallone he he did some phenomenal acting uh, Harvey Keitel he can um, his ass off when he's given yeah, the right role yeah, like, he but really like, is not a the, bad actor so I, I feel like um, James Mangold is is He's been making westerns his whole life, basically. So. Yeah, no, he clearly was was very affected by the the pop culture he consumed when he was a kid. He probably watched a lot of westerns, movies. He also cited Shane, uh, the nineteen fifties western, as like a really big example. Oh, and you know. Shane is in this movie. <laughs> he, like put, put a movie in the movie and then has the oh yeah, that's true. Quote the movie. <laughs> he literally has them watching fucking Shane. Yeah, like how can I room. how can I fucking make sure nobody misses the point I'm making yeah, right. here. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, I love that, and we'll get into it a little bit in the trivia later. But he really had had a, a devotion into like to make this movie just feel like a real fucking gritty like drama that you know had this strong element of like I, the the whole thing was like a lot of those movies are like you know the gunslinger's kind of last mission before he. Uh, hangs know, up no his use spurs. For, yeah, before the, he hangs up term, his spurs. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> and. Um, you know, you really, you, it, it, it felt a lot like a lot of those movies, a lot like, you know, little even aspects of, uh, you know, a character from like The Magnificent Seven. Like it really had a, a an interesting feel to it. So I, I well, think that, the, you know. in Oh, so finish your thought. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say, you know, a lot of people are talking about like the Oscars and how they created this fucking like pop culture category, like popular movie category. And it's like motherfucker just recognize the films that are fucking excellent like this movie that transcend the genre mm-hmm. uh, this movie you know and I, I believe this actually was nominated for best adapted screenplay um uh, for an oscar for that but it's like you know all the shit they're doing now is to get around the fact that black panther was like an excellent movie and they don't know what the fuck to do with it because they don't want to you know put it into the best picture category it's like just stop being fucking stuffy old white dudes and yeah, you know expand that's... your mind a little bit like well, you know, it would make Ben Shapiro shit his pants, but uh, <laughs> it would. For but that no, but, alone, like, it needs but, to but I say that because this movie, I, I really think, was deserving of of you know an Academy Award in some in oh some, without a doubt, yeah. You know, it best adapted. I mean, obviously, it had some stiff competition, but like it, it, it's yeah. a fucking great film. Like it's just a well, and film. 
credit goes to I think obviously Hugh Jackman for being this character oh, for twenty years it. and being committed to it. You know, it's it's like mm-hmm. someone who embodies that character. And you know, that I've been I started collecting comic books when I was you know basically a preteen, and mm-hmm. so this character has been in my life you know for almost all of my life. You know, and and to have someone who even though the X Men are, are not revered, they're still mainstream heroes. But he, this was the one guy who was really was the anti-hero, extremely reluctant hero, had very little loyalty. Um, and to see that portrayed so accurately, especially in this film, where it's like he can't even connect with his daughter. You know, I know that was hard for a lot of people to to see that lack of connection until it was too late. But it's oh, it's but done so well, so well, and so much credit goes to the acting of. Um, uh, what was her name? The little girl. Uh, the, Daph- the girl who played Laura. Uh, Daphne something. Yeah. Keen. Keen is her last Keen. name. Yeah. You see a lot of child actors where it's just like they're just being themselves because they're 10 and that's all they can do. And there are some scenes between the two of them that are so well acted and cannot be, it can't just be a kid being a kid. It's a kid who can con- comprehend what is going on, what the scene is about, and what's really at stake and make d- acting choices that make us hurt inside you know <laughs> like that's I, he, I haven't seen anyone that good in a long time no I, I i was i was genuinely shocked at how good of an actress she was like for for a fucking 11 year old like they have this and i'm you know i from i my favorite quote section i'll i'll jump ahead a little bit but um you know they had that exchange in the car where he's like swerving off the road and she's like you know let, let me drive and then she's like you're dying you wanted to die uh, and he's like how do you know and she's like because charles told me uh, and then Logan and then, asked, what yeah. else did he tell you? And then she said, to not let you. <laughs> but the way <laughs> she's, such, it's really funny, but like the way she delivers, she just has like such a fucking, like it, she's going to be an amazing actress when she grows up, if she decides to stick with it, because. It, just in the physicality of all those fight scenes. Now, of course they have yeah. like cables and CGI and everything, but it feels completely real. You know, when those uh, scenes hit. And, and the other thing is, you know, this is the first uh, movie with with this character is rated R, so we finally get to see, you know, Berserker Wolverine yeah. chopping people's limbs and heads off, and you know he chops a guy's fucking face off, not even his oh, head, just his, like carves his face out. You know, it's like yes, finally we're seeing the real comic book, and I guarantee you that wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for Ryan Reynolds making an R rated Deadpool. They they never would have made an R rated Logan, uh, so, you know, five years ago. So that certainly helped the studio's confidence, but supposedly Mangold like insisted when he was writing this uh, that they made that they let him make it R because he just did not want to have to worry about any of that shit. He wanted to really make it like a real gritty. Yeah, but I think maybe that helped along the process because that Mm -hmm. came out you know not long before this. Well, you know, there's a maturing process for any art form, and I think adapting comic books to you know to cinema has been a bumpy road up until about the last. (laughs) seven years or so because they thought they didn't they just didn't know how to adapt it and turns out the way to make it the best adaptation is to make it as true to the comic book as possible yeah and not insult the intelligence of your of your viewers or your readers you know in that case uh and you know you look at the movies we've gotten in the last couple years you look at this you look at uh black panther you look at you know even even the kind of evolution of the avengers movies and it's like these movies are actually just being made for adults now, which is which is really kind of your target demo. I mean, obviously they want to sell you know toys and shit, but 
movies like this prove that you yeah. don't need to fucking make them you know you can still make a billion dollars and not fucking pander and try to do a billion you know marketing that like this 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 on paper seems like it would be an unmarketable movie like it's just a fucking dour dark like violent you know uh profane movie but and it still it made i believe a billion dollars bro- yeah it leaves you feeling broken there's there's no real payoff So um, in terms of favorite scenes, I, I really uh, there's a couple I really like. And then there's one that I think absolutely takes the cake. But mm. for me, um, I love the scene at the beginning uh, when when they bring Laura back to the compound and, uh, you know, the, the, the fucking the armed thug dudes show up. And, uh, you know, the kid, <laughs> Laura walks out just holding this motherfucker's head and just rolls it towards them. Like, I, I just thought that was such a funny Mm -hmm. for this movie to have and it just because you don't up until that point know what her power is if you've not if you're not familiar with x23 in the comics and it's like no she's like fucking little wolverine like she's a fucking maniac and she'll cut giant dudes heads off it's pretty amazing that scene yeah well and one of the things i love is um the the main bad guy boyd played by boyd holbrook has this great west texas accent in the film i don't know how much of that is acted but he almost steals every scene he's in which is a hard thing to do when you've got hugh jackman and sir patrick stewart but you know he does get a lot of like you know lines that lend itself to villainy um and for not really having a strange charisma to him yeah well he he doesn't really have a motivation for being a villain other than just like well greed and this is corporation and they want to work for this uh, fucking company and i'm a right and that's that's all we really yeah, yeah, but even scenes where it's, he he's the main focus, you know, he mm. still steal, you know, it's still like, I don't know, great great villain, and he he got, does a great switch from being cocky and confident to suddenly being really fucking scared <laughs> when he realizes like he doesn't have the upper hand even with like you know thirty armed militia mercenary guys. He's just you watch this change on his face where he's like, nope, nope, no, nope, we're fine, everything's fine. All of a sudden he's like, no, nope, but get, get shooter. <laughs> he's yeah. just backing away. Uh, that is one of my favorite little moments. Where the then film he yells where... at them to stop wasting bullets. He's like, she fucking heals. Like stop being idiots. Like just chase her. Right. <laughs> Try to right. restrain her, like which yeah. I always think in these movies, like when people are shooting Wolverine, I'm like, okay, you're just wasting fucking time. Doesn't right. do anything. Well, it, it, except in sp- this movie. Speaking of the scale, too, you know, this isn't a, a is it not uh, Wolverine versus the Juggernaut, where it, you know it's like buildings are being knocked down. This is Wolverine versus a bunch of armed mercenaries, and the only this way is that's like a f- Blackwater, basically, right? But and I felt like the film definitely like you know sort of portrayed our mercenaries as being a type. You know, of bad oh, yeah. guy under themselves, but you know, of course, Wolverine would slaughter all of them no problem. So he's got to be nerfed. So that's also kind of like he's his adamantium and claws. That's not his superpower. That was added by Project X, right? His his only yeah. real superpower is just the healing factor. So they've got to well, take that away for for it to be a fair fight. So he has he he does have bone claws. Like, but what what uh, Weapon X did was they they right. they fused his skeleton with adamantium. Allegedly. So like, if you see. <laughs> well, no, I mean, in the comics. So, like, if you see Days of Futures Past, uh, they he has, like, when he goes back in time to his old self, he actually has the bone claws, and he's, yeah. like, shocked by it. Uh, there um, was a, a great alternate series in the 90s they did with, it was like, it was like a, a, a limited run, and Wolverine only had one hand on one side, and it was, like, you 
for the whole series, you didn't know if his claws were still in that arm or if the claws were lost with his hand. And you just keep yeah. wondering and wondering and wondering the whole time. And like they finally obviously revealed that he still had the claws in that arm with no hand and he like uses it in the most brilliant way ever. Uh, but yeah, oh, like a cool. really, a really great, like, is he or not? Like, does he still have the claws there or not? Uh-huh. Anyway, I don't remember the name of the series. It was very limited run. Um, it was, it was way back in like 1995, I want to say. Um, but yeah, so I, that scene I enjoyed, um, Logan trying to get up to the hotel room when Xavier was having a seizure. Like that was an interest. I just love the way he had to like, like use his claws to almost like, like, like he was climbing a mountain to get back to the room. And then he was like literally oh, using yeah. the fucking henchman to like run them through as he was like trying to claw his way That over. would be in any other movie that would just be like, Oh, they, they break in and they fight and da da da. And here's this totally other element where everything's frozen and they can't move, and then he's moving in closer, and you see the one mercenary turn, like his eyes turn, almost <laughs> like like Superman when he, um, you know, Flash is running at him, and at the last second, his, yeah, yeah. Superman's eyes move, and you're like, oh shit! But in this case, you're like, oh fuck, Wolverine, Wolverine's gonna kill that guy, and he realizes, like, very slow to react, like he's about to die, and it's just like claws through the head, you know. Um, Which, but yeah, just really, um, and, and and to also tie that. You know the reason that why that happening. It's not just hey, we wrote this interesting thing. It's like it's literally it's it's what's killing Professor Xavier. It's why he, there he has to flee from society so this doesn't happen anymore. So I, I just I love all the ways the plot intertwines. You know, well, and I love what the guy says, and it's an interest. It's a really fascinating concept where he's like, well, the most powerful brain in the world basically was just turned. You know, you give you give a, 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 a degenerative brain disease to the most powerful brain in the world. Like that's, it, it's a horrifying notion. Like if somebody like that actually existed, like how unstable that could become if he be if he did get ALS or Alzheimer's or like any you know. Um, and it's kind of unclear what Xavier has because I you know, initially you think it's dementia, but then you realize like these meds that Logan's putting him on are making him fucking nuts. Cause whenever he's not on the meds, he's pretty lucid and you know, normal. Um, but he's having these horrible seizures that like will shake apart the universe if not treated. So, right. Well, in, um, in that, the, the creepy, um, you know, uh, uh, weapon X protege doctor even asks Caliban, you know, what does he have? What is it? Yeah. He wants to know what it is. Cause he wants to know, well, can we, can we control it in order to control, him you know how do we you know how yeah. do and, and then later of course it's revealed that they're killing off all the mutants but there's certain ones they want to save right that they can you know um sort of Waylon yutani into a, a perfect uh bioweapon kind of a thing so so the interesting thing um that i i didn't really pick on until i read about it uh, a pick up on is that the, so you know he go he goes to the uh that that the the black family the uphams i believe they're called they're called uh he goes to their house after he helps them <laughs> the you know, black family fucking, <laughs> well i i don't i couldn't remember their name but the farmers the black the black farmer family did right. you know right so um he goes to their house for dinner with them so he goes you know with him and he shows him like the the corn that they're harvesting and apparently the Corn syrup is being controlled by by one company that the, the same company that was making these 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 uh, mutants, the tri was it trigen or something like that trigen something like that yeah. So yeah. they actually were putting something in this corn syrup uh, because they monopolized the corn syrup industry that killed off the mutant gene. It made it it made the mutant gene sterile. It essentially sterilized all the mutants, right. which is why there are almost no more mutants. Which is another thing that's very subtly hinted at in this movie. Uh, to well, your point, nothing is really f- like I love how like they don't hold your hand at all with it. But basically, 
so they were sterilizing all the mutants and they were using and they were harvesting the ones that they could to clone their dna into these these clones like what which is what um the kids yeah laura is yeah she's a well, clone of wolverine so she's, and you know. when i first saw this i thought like yeah but you know kidnapping or breeding children you know latin american mexican children because i think their their lab where they were doing this was in mexico but it's sort of like yeah. where it's sort of implied you know they said mexico city but they don't really stress that very much and obviously these companies operate in in america as well united states of america um, but the idea of like keeping all these kids captive, you know, was a little like, eh, I mean, I know it's, it's sci-fi or I know it's a, a you know, superhero movie, but it seemed a little far-fetched at the time. But now it's like, you know, in the year 2018, where we're literally separating children, children from their parents cages, and putting them yeah. in cages. I'm like, oh, that doesn't seem far-fetched at all. <laughs> it's like yeah, no, no, ex- all. Ex- another, again, extremely topical uh, kind of a thing. Yeah. And, and, and it also, you know, I think if you told people 10 years ago, hey, we're going to keep fucking kids in ca- you know, in cages at the border and things like that, they'd be like, no, that's some dystopian nightmare, you know, that's bullshit. We'd never do that. Um we'd never do that again. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, right? Um yeah. I, I I just think not a lot a lot of the shit that they show in this movie, this kind of genetic engineering and all this shit is not like I would not at all put it past the government to do literally whatever they could to fuel no, well, um, there the were, war machine. Like literally yeah, this is not so there, at all unreasonable. There was a, an actual very famous and conspiracy theorists love to talk about this because it's one of the times they were right. There was a um I don't know who actually ran it, but there was an abandoned Air Force base in upstate New York, and they were doing all kinds of psychological experiments on people who mostly they got from New York City who were junkies, who would do anything for money, that right? Ultra thing? Or is that I, it may be, but they did a bunch of like mind control experiments. Oh, yeah, and, Ultra. yeah, yeah, yep, exactly. So it's like there is precedent for this. And of course, these, were, these people weren't held against their will. It was like, hey, sign this release form. Uh, we're going to pump you full of drugs and do a bunch of psychological experiments and then dump you on the street with, you know, 500 bucks so you can go get high again. And they probably didn't even remember half the shit that they <laughs> happened to them there. But, you know, it's like we, we have these stories about, um, you know, the Weyland-Yutani Corporation from Aliens or, uh, you know, the Tyrell Corporation from Blade Runner for a reason, you know, because yeah. this, is the, this is the end game of what corporations will do if given the chance. They'll do these things. They've done these things before. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty harrowing to fucking think about. Um, so, uh, for you, oh, so you know, I this, I, I love that scene. Um, I, to me, the absolute best scene of the movie though is like the last scene that Logan and Laura share before Logan dies. Like that kind of interaction. Oh, the log scene, have. log jamming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> after after he fucking kills off his clone, the uh, what the fuck is his name? X twenty four. Yeah. Uh, but but then is you know run through uh with a with a log and is dying and then Laura you know she calls him daddy and then he call or, and you know it it's a really sweet moment between them and you finally see like a side of Logan that you have not seen in all of these movies in the last you know twenty years of portraying Logan where right at the end he's like oh <laughs> this is what it feels like or something like that and then he then he, you know he dies and it's like I fucking. D- Hugh Jackman just fucking as good as an actor as he is. I I think this is the best I've ever seen him in a movie. Like he just nailed the the pathos of this character and like the the weight of the years that he was trying to you know convey with the with with this performance so well in this movie. 
But in that well, scene in particular, I just yeah, think it was just unbelievable. A- absolutely. I, I also feel like this is the first time he's really been the the right age for the character. Because in the comic books, <laughs> yeah, Wolverine has always been like kind of a grisly, slightly older guy. Uh, also, not very tall. The comic books is actually a really short <laughs> kind of. Yeah, he's, you know, it's like a plot point that he's like five uh, foot four or whatever in the comic books. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, I, I think one of the, the, the moments that hits hardest emotionally is when he says he's trying you know, he's like, I, uh-huh. I, I suck at this. Everyone I care about dies. And then she says, well, I should be fine then, huh? And then walks away and you're like, oh, fuck, right, <laughs> right in the feels. God damn it. Because oh, she's, she's feeling that um, he's closed off and doesn't care about her, you know. And, and yeah. you know, he's only just trying to drop her off for money. Um, and then we realize, you know, he's he's got this huge internal conflict about not wanting to get close to people again because... It's you know it's partially that he's lived forever because of this healing factor, and partially because he's a mutant. All his friends have all been killed off, and he may have possibly killed them himself. Um, mm-hmm. That you don't you know you, you see the struggle, and then of course it's you know at the same time he's literally dying himself uh, in a number a couple different ways. So, uh, and then on top of that, he, you know the the super evil weapon they use against him is this clone copy of him younger self. So that that whole dynamic of like he's battling his mortality literally in this clone who's who's better and smarter and faster and has no moral qualms about what he's doing at all even less than he does um yeah. which i think originally in in the uh old man logan comic they they had a bunch of different villains but they did not have a, a clone that he was fighting of himself that wasn't part of that correct no i you know i i very vaguely remember it i do have it and i've read it a while ago but uh no yeah. that was i don't believe that was one of the things yeah i <sighs> It, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I just think he killed it. I think, uh, Patrick Stewart absolutely fucking killed it for, you know, also having portrayed this character as such a proper, you know, kind of straight laced guy for, for all of these movies. And then just kind of gets to be like this really old fucking grisly grumpy. Um, oh, and all the swear version. words too. I love oh, when they're, so funny. they're, they're quipping at each other and they're just, they're saying the F word every other word. It's like, yes, because Charles Xavier <laughs> didn't ever say the F word in the comics. You know, this is just something no. they're adding that like, he's old and doesn't give a fuck and he's senile. He's losing his mind. And to, to see them, not, not even at their emotional worst, but physical worst, both of them, um, it, there's definitely some really good humor in that. We talked about Last Jedi and how some of that comedy just didn't work, you know, in Last Jedi, or just mm-hmm. some of the moments didn't work well. Yeah, in another otherwise serious moment, you can have a joke, but it should be to punctuate something, not to take you out of the moment. And I think this film did a great job of incorporating the humor into the tragedy in ways that was funny and uplifting, but also like equally as heartbreaking as the actual uh, trauma uh, of what's happening to these people. Yeah, well, I, I mean, at one point, uh, I, I pulled this from my quote section. Um, Xavier says, uh, "You know, two days on the road, only one meal, and hardly any sleep." She's eleven. I'm fucking ninety. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he was trying to convince him to yeah. not like leave the the, the farmer dude's house. Like, <laughs> yeah, just so many, so many of those jokes would not be funny coming from anybody else. And Patrick Stewart, man, he's just, um, you know, to to be Captain. You know, Captain Picard and Professor X, just, you know, such mm-hmm. a treat. Or even just like, lo- <laughs> he's like you. the logistics of, of being a, a paraplegic and having to go to the bathroom when you're 90, it's like, <laughs> oh, Logan, God. I have to pee, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm not going to go with you standing there. <laughs> I'm not going to watch, trust me. <laughs> what? 
you know, and, and no, he, was, he fucking killed it. Yeah, even with the old X Men films, you didn't care about any of the characters except for those two. You know, and, and they, re- I think they realized and that. And Magneto, I think, to an extent. But yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the relationship mostly between those three characters, I would say. Um, yeah, and, you know, I, th- those those are absolutely the essential, you know, characters from those movies. And I, I think that they... It, this is maybe the best example of, like, a glow-up for a film, <laughs> film franchise I think I've ever seen. Like, you very seldom do sequels, especially comic book sequels, um totally change uh the style and the paradigm of the franchise and and do it in a really yeah. interesting way and I, I can't even think of any other example that like you know those movies like i would watch if they're on tv but i would not you know ever consider them among you know the the best films of even the superhero genre and this movie was like one of the best movies of 2017 and like a genuinely amazing piece of cinema and it's like I, it's almost crazy that they exist in the same universe. These two, you know, the, this and all the other. Oh yeah, movies. go back and watch the trilogy of films that were just called Wolverine or The Wolverine, or there was like a third. I don't even remember, but there. Well, yeah, that, yeah. There, there's bad. one that's watchable, and then two that are just a fucking train wreck. And you're like, you know, God bless him for still doing it. But well, you know, the watchable one was also directed by James Mangold, which was yes. the Wolverine, the one that yes. came before this. Yeah, there were some people that said it it used a. Uh, like some shitty Asian stereotypes, but it, you know, I don't know. There's, I didn't it was, see it was a far whole better lot of that, than but, than yeah. X Men Origins Wolverine, which was that god awful movie where they, you know, made uh, Deadpool a mute and like it, like it was just oh yeah, I, that I, brutal. That movie I've was never, brutal. I've never watched it, but I've seen little like gag bits of it. But it's uh, awful. It's, um, yeah, no, it's awful. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and again, the, you know, the, this movie is like uh, so. You know, X X two to me had like some of the best elements of it, even though it's not a great film. But like some of the Weapon X shit, where they're where Striker like where like when they come into the uh, the academy when everyone's sleeping and Wolverine has to basically run through and kill all these motherfucking mercenary dudes, like but still ends up kind of failing in the end to save everybody. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, this movie is like all the best scenes from that movie times like a thousand. Like it, it took the elements from like it. Elements of this movie felt like that, like that movie. But I, I think that they realized like that's what works in this fucking universe. Like so, we, they kind of took that and expanded on it. Yeah, slicing and dicing. Um, uh, so it, you, um, well, I probably shouldn't say this, but the the uh, what I was going to say the the copy of the film that I watched twice the last two days was a very high resolution copy. The first where, one I ever where, watched. Where, where did that come would, from? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Cinema Santa Claus? I don't know. Um, (laughs) Trying not to get people sued here, all right? Uh, The first copy I watched was a very, very poorly uh, filmed off a screen. The the projector was out of focus is what you're trying to say when you saw it in the cinema. And then on top of that, whoever recorded this bootleg actually went in and cut out the goriest parts of the fight scenes. So it was like, it, yeah, it was like jumping. It was around. I was, I was like, what the fuck just happened? Where did all the, you, thi-? like, that's the thing that makes, you it know, might the, have the been action like parts the, so Certain good. foreign versions actually did cut down on the gore. So you might have seen you, like a, a foreign version of it. Yeah, this was, I mean, that's maybe possible. But if they did, they were still showing it in a theater and did a terrible job. It, it looked like <laughs> somebody had chopped it up in post from, because mm. it's like, you know, you're filming in a, in a, in a or they're, they're bootlegging this off screen in a theater. And if there was a hard cut, 
the the sound would still echo in the room, right? And it wasn't like that. Yeah. It was like somebody had chopped up the bootleg itself. So mm-hmm. I didn't even get to see any of that. And even still, when I finally did find a slightly better bootleg, you couldn't see all the detail. You couldn't see how much, you know, how brutal the some of the... Some, and all yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so to finally see the version I saw that I watched uh, twice in the last uh, couple of days was really quite a treat. Um, it's rare that I watch a film and immediately want to watch it again, especially if I've seen it before. <laughs> and I, so, like I was, I just, I want to watch it again. Again, I'm... I haven't done it yet, but what they did for this, what they did for Mad Max Fury Road, which is they released uh, Logan Noir, which is a black and white version. And uh, the director, James Mangold, said that like he saw a bunch of stills from the movie in black and white. And he's like, this fucking movie looks amazing in black. Like, we should just do the whole movie like that. So they actually did a theatrical re-release of like a, a black and white version. So I actually would be curious to watch that. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And see how that kind of changes the the, the way it feels. Absolutely. Like that might even lend more to the Western, you know. Did you vibe. um watch that uh the black and white episode of Black Mirror where it's the woman on the run from the, the killer robot dog? I did not yet it's, see that it's, one. No. Yeah, it's all in black and white, but it, again it, it feels very much like a western. Almost no dialogue mm-hmm. and it's also equally equally very heartbreaking in a similar sense that this film is like, you know, what's going to happen. Like, you know, that everyone's going to die basically. Uh, no, it, it doesn't. It's just, it's post-apocalyptic. Like, you know, everyone's right. going to die one way or the other. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's more of like the, the, the way in which society has devolved. That's the really depressing thing that there's no way to escape from that. Even if you do live, whatever the immediate threat is, you know? And I think that's kind of, um, you know, these, the kids at the end of Logan are, are sort of escaping, but, to where like are are there are they this company you know is trying to catch them before they cross the border but clearly they're a multinational co- company clearly they're still going to be hunted somewhere so you know th- again there is no redemption in this movie it's the slightest little bit of happiness is you reminded that they're still in this world that's gonna be terrible <laughs> yeah this dystopian nightmare um and to that point you mentioned you know before we recorded about the uh the the trucks the uh self-driving you know trucks and they they do some interesting things with those in that scene where they're trying to round up Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh the horses where they just show how uh the the lack of uh of kind of preparation i assume what that scene was trying to say is like hey you know these fucking trucks are not going to stop if they see horses because they're not programmed to stop they see horses so just one of the many things that like these things would fucking you know Cause well, havoc. and and that, I think that's sort of like you know, even though they're being chased by this evil, like deliberately evil corporation uh, who mm-hmm. wants to harm them, we see the society and the technology that is, um, it, it's indifferent to the point of being brutal in ways mm-hmm. that we are rapidly moving towards in real life too. So I like that they didn't set it very far in the future. It's not flying cars. It's just trucks with no drivers that won't stop no matter what's in the road. Now, we have seen since there's now been actual fatalities from self-driving cars that that is a huge liability for them. But again, it's like once it becomes systemic, it's less of a liability. And if they do kill no one's going to care. Like uh, running over a person is the same thing as running over a horse in this world. Nobody's going to grieve for them. Right. So that mm-hmm. uh, little tiny bits of, of, of what the regular world is, uh, is also really depressing and terrifying about this film. Yeah, no. And, and, and I really feel like they did a good job of not, um, 
of making it feel almost like it's current it's a current day but like just with slight kind of tweaks in terms of like this is what where we're going to be in, in oh, you know 10 it, years yeah. if we don't fucking little, address these things like little tiny touches like the like the huge video billboard in the first scene that's right behind the limo uh, mm-hmm. And then the flat screen TV in the t- in the hotel room is just t- that's just a little bit flatter than what we have now, you know, like things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> really subtle shit. Um, so, uh, in terms of um, quotes, I, I mean, I, I I read most of them. I my, my, one of my other favorite quotes though from the film uh, when they are at you know uh, at the farmhouse, uh, which I, I genuinely I think that's one of my favorite parts of the movie because you really kind of get uh it, it's a bit of a break in the action but you really get like a lot of the humanity of 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 char of xavier and of logan in those scenes and also that's where xavier dies so it's like um but xavier when he brings him upstairs like after you know kind of having dinner with this nice family goes you know logan uh this is what life looks like a home people who love each other safe place uh you should take a moment and feel it um and he doesn't even say to him, "You should try it," because he knows that that's not an option. But I, but I, I just think that was a really nice little piece of screenwriting because it, it, you know, him saying you should take a moment and feel it is him saying like, "I know this isn't you. I know this is never going to be you, and that you're dying." But uh, you know, well, he, he's th- trying is... to to connect him and his daughter throughout the entire yeah. film. You know, he he's even in the trailer. Even in the very first trailer, he's like, she's she's a girl very much like you, very much like you, you know. So he's trying to to save Logan in maybe one of the last ways he knows how, not just because she's a mutant, but because it's like, look, dude, this is your actual, this is your your actual daughter, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it's it's great that that is the real message of the film because so many films by like someone by Steven Spielberg family being the most important thing feels really forced and sappy and syrupy. And here it's like family is the most important thing and it's totally unattainable for these people, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's the really heartbreaking thing. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there who they feel the same way for whatever reason they had a parent die early or they're, you know, they never knew their father yeah. cause their father took off that those, those are the things that really like drive. the. It just felt knife. so real. Like it was yeah. such a real, you know, real kind of uh, arc to, to put at the emotional center of the movie. Uh, so I think that's why it worked so much. Um, you know, usually we do like a real, like a really going for it award for the biggest over actor, but I, I genuinely can't think of, anyone who didn't give like an amazing performance in this movie. Um, I, if you could think of somebody, let me know. I can't really think of anyone who I was like, Oh man, this person's really fucking out of place. Uh, there, I mean, there was a couple moments where you could tell they were having a little bit too much fun. Um, and you know, they're trying to have, be serious. There, some of the comedic moments from Patrick Stewart, he, he went a little bit over the top with, but it, yeah. it served to provide some levity and what otherwise would be completely, you know, have you, you know, it's it, it, this movie would almost be too dour and too depressing if they didn't have those moments of levity. I yeah, think certain, yeah. you know, like one of the times he tells him to take his pills and he's like, you know, prove to me you swallowed, and he just goes blah, like sticks his tongue way out. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, just no, I love that. Ridiculous that shit like that. Funny. Yeah, um, um, you uh, th- there's a, a gal who used to review a lot of uh, comic book movies and actual comic books. She had a web series on YouTube uh, under the name Comic Gr- Comic Book Girl 19. And she reviewed this and did like about a half hour review, and she burst out crying at one point 
just saying it was too depressing that it was it t- it hit too close home to her because uh, she her she didn't know her own father growing up. So for her as a as a young woman connecting with that whole idea of not being able to connect with your father was like it was like too much for her. She couldn't take it. Uh, and that was really that, that speaks to how amazingly you know well executed this was. Oh I yeah, think. definitely. Well, she was saying like it didn't need to be that brutal, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I, that's when I realized like wow, this this film may have affected people a lot more than it affected me. Uh, and that's when I knew yeah. there was like something else going on that was you know I had to go back and watch it again. No, it definitely affected me. Uh, maybe not quite to that extent, but you know for other reasons in my life, like it definitely like similar things that affected me, but. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I don't think there was really a, a, a bad performance in the movie. Um, so in terms of interest, I, you know, just for my half-assed research, uh, interesting things that I found out, uh, while researching, uh, Millie Bobby Brown, uh, initially auditioned for Laura. Yeah. The girl who plays 11 on Stranger Things. Yeah. Yeah. Which would have worked too. Um, I think would have been interesting. I just, I think the the you know her. Oh, I think she was perfect. The the well, girl it's on a border town, and the fact that she's you yeah. know a little little Latina girl, um, and the the politics of that and being considered mm-hmm. you know property, being locked in a, in a in a lab or in a cage like that, it wouldn't have that same um, you know topical undertone if that was a white girl. You know, you'd think, no, that's, there's no way they, that would really happen. So I, I don't know. I think that, that going with that uh, was, was the right call to make. So, uh, And also, like a bunch of those kids, it, the, the kids that actually rescue Logan, and, and you notice yeah. a, a lot of them are not white. Like, I think a majority yeah. of them are not white kids. So uh, I, I don't know. Well, it, it was going back to the like its roots that you were saying, uh, you know, of, of the kind of uh, thinly veiled parable for the civil rights era. Uh, exactly. And, yep. you know, the films, the initial films for all their flaws were a parable of uh, the LGBT kind of like uh, movement and the kind of panic around that. I mean, you know, at one point in the movies, uh, Iceman, you know, Bobby's parents are like, have you ever tried, you know, not being a mutant? And he's like, what the fuck? So like they, they, you know, they, they take this theme of like uh, acceptance of, people who have no control over their identities and it's like uh, i I like that the x-men franchise is is pliable where you can keep flexing that forward to whoever is currently being um oppressed because marginalized yeah and marginalized because of who they are things like that I, i like that it really is in some ways like the, the, the like a leftist kind of uh, comic book oh, <laughs> property. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, that alienation from oneself, that alienation from one's family, or, or is it, that mirrors their alienation from society, you know, that they have to flee their, their country um, because of, of them being uh, hated by society, but then commodified or commodified. Uh, you know, uh, commodified by a corporation that wants to turn them into, uh, you know, literal slaves. Exactly. So it's, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. So, uh, so in regard to Millie Bobby Brown, uh, yeah. you know, no, no disrespect there. She's definitely a talent unto herself. Yeah, no, she's, she's an amazing, amazing young actress, uh, as well. So, um, another interesting thing I found out, uh, so when Xavier is having his seizures, uh, Jackman didn't act as if he was being pushed away. Uh, instead, he was being held back by a rope by two men uh, in order to give a more realistic portrayal of being restrained. And that's something you'll see recurring in, in a lot of the uh, 
additional reading I did is that Mangold was very big on like, I don't want to make a fucking CGI fest. I want this to be a really like practically shot grounded movie not a lot of effects not a lot of mutants a lot so of they literally effects. had two guys holding a rope on them they cgi that yeah, out yeah oh wow well, I, didn't I, I think it might have even just been the camera angle that you couldn't see the rope or oh, you know okay. they might have used like a uh uh like the the clear wires that like you know magicians use or whatever right but um and what they did for a lot of these scenes, uh, another piece of trivia. So his his blast that the seizure thing uh, was done by shooting uh, deliberately shaky footage. You'd shake the camera and like take away all the stabilizers, and then restabilizing the frame in post, which uh, if anyone's ever done, will know is a fucking bitch to do. Um, and it never really comes out right. So it resulted right. in this footage containing like this kind of strange blur. Uh, effect um so that's how they actually shot those scenes they did them all practically mm-hmm. there was no cgi which is kind of an, a brilliant little piece of filmmaking that you know the director uh, and the cinematographer yeah. came up with well it, and way cheaper too you know like if you do that too <laughs> it's it's but like it, the... it just feels it feels more organic it doesn't look oh, like absolutely. a fucking you know ripple effect like have you uh have you seen the film after. primer shane caruth time travel i have not seen that no, no there's a there's there there's two guys trying to invent a time machine and uh, they're talking about how you know the Russians solved the problem of not being able to use a pen in space was to use a pencil. Hmm. <laughs> uh, um, so uh, another last little piece of trivia that I, I thought was interesting to the plot of this movie, uh, and so and I, I vaguely remember this because I also read this when it came out a long time ago. Uh, but in the death of the uh, death of Wolverine comic arc. He's poisoned uh, due to adamantium uh, retaining radiation from the Nagasaki nuclear bomb, uh, which he was present at. Right. Uh, and, you know, the fact that his, his skeleton is coated in this heavy metal. So in Logan, he's being slowly poisoned by a skeleton uh, for unrevealed reasons, possibly the same ones. So whatever is actually killing him, it, it, it seems to be his skeleton. The adamantium is, is, is poisoning him, which is why he becomes... Uh, essentially mortal you know at the at the end of the film and why he doesn't heal as quickly anymore um but i thought that was just a really interesting wrinkle from the comics that mm-hmm. that's what was actually you know the radiation from the adamantium that was uh, killing him yeah so i i my understanding was he was being affected by everything else that all the other mutants were were just it was in every food you know this uh oh that also tr- yeah the right um well, who so was, I, but you who, know what i uh, so, yeah. <laughs> well, Sorry. regarding the killing, no, it's fine. Regarding killing off the mutants, though, would it seem like it was, and, and I think this is actually to point out the benign evil of corporations, is that the corporations didn't literally go around killing mutants or even poisoning mutants. They were just ster- like secretly sterilizing them through this corn syrup. So the reason Logan's still around uh, and that most mutants have died off is because most mutants have just died off of old age. Uh, or been you know killed by Xavier with, with that that blast that or, was alluded or to killed by you know uh, lynch moms kind of a thing yeah so I I don't think that they were literally like I don't think he's being poisoned I think like by that corporation I think he's literally maybe being poisoned by a skeleton which I think he kind of alludes to hmm. um, but I, so but that that's an interesting thing that they really don't at all you know give you an expository dialogue but if you pick up on a few things about this kind of oh because yeah what he's because at the end when he's sort of revealing the whole corn syrup plot he does 
sort of hold his claws up and yeah i mean that's kind of no it's just funny when you phrase it that way yeah yeah, it is what it is i feel like corporations are really really are poisonous with corn syrup but he basically like you know he says like well i'm i'm the you know the son of the guy that or you're the son of the guy that that poisoned my body like holds his claws up or put this poison in me or whatever it is like i think that's what you're maybe you're, you're talking about yeah, and and he and he believe he also says to Xavier at one point that it's killing him or something like that. But um, yeah, hmm. yeah, but but I think yeah, he's he's talking about you know the fact that that Weapon X was you know th- that that guy was basically like a Weapon X protege or right. or whatever you want to call him. Yeah, there's there's so many major little hints at the backstory that only get like a single line, and it's sometimes Which not great, yeah. right to the camera. Sometimes it's like off camera, and it's like you you go back and you watch it again you go oh i didn't get that part that makes that adds just more to the whole tapestry of what i already understood about this you know it, it's it's so great too and i didn't even think about this still just now but that they that they use corn syrup as the vehicle for this this poisoning of the mutant like gene pool and the yeah, sterilization because you. it like you were saying, it, gener- it genuinely is fucking killing all when, of us, you know, slowly. I think when you first recommended we review this, you were like, "Well, it's not the most political film," and I was like, "I feel like there's a lot of political messages in the f- messages in this film, very similar to Blade Runner twenty forty nine, where there's there's all these layers of of dystopian, you know, existential dread we have about the future we are uh, cultivating, uh, which is bad for ourselves in many many ways. Um, we're already there. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, in terms of what this movie's trying to say, I think we, we, we've pretty much touched on all of those things. Um, you know, I like that this movie didn't have a post credit scene, you know, cause it, and the director said that was a deliberate choice. Cause of course the studio always wants a post credit scene for superhero movies. And this is the first X movie not to have one. Mm. Um, and he's like, no, this is guys, this is like a standalone movie. This is fucking chain. This well, is unforgiven. This uh, is not X-Men three or X-Men six or like. Uh, it really it, it sold the 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 whole aspect of um this being a prestige film and not really being a superhero film it, you know right down to the music choices things like mm-hmm. uh obviously nice uh, nice nice Hugh Jackman reference for another movie he's in <laughs> which C- Christopher Nolan's the prestige oh <laughs> Yeah. I didn't. I didn't even make that illusion, but yeah, that works. Um, yeah. But no, I love how um, you know, they, they went heavy on the Johnny Cash, obviously with the hurt in the trailer, and then the movie ends with uh, when the man comes around. And uh, James Mangold directed Walk the Line, which is a I fucking love that movie. I don't care what anyone says. I think that's a great yeah. biopic. Which um, is Joaquin Phoenix uh, plays him, right? Yeah, another fucking amazing actor. Yeah. I, uh, I still haven't Phoenix. seen that, but I definitely want to. Yeah, it's really good. it's really good and dark and like it's not at all like a pol- it walk the line is like what the queen movie should be. Like, you know, like right. how there's this controversy around how like the living members of queen are basically trying to sterilize that movie and not making it as raw as it was mm-hmm. as it should have been and that's why Sasha Baron Cohen left the project. The, walk the line's kind of like that for Johnny Cash, right. like you know, heavy into the drugs and fucking beating his, you know, w- like wife and cheating mm-hmm. on Mm-hmm. Um, well, did you ever see the uh, coal miner's daughter? The biopic about um, uh, burr, the the uh, shit. I forgot her name. I feel dumb now. Um, his his sissy. No, 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 no. So it's sissy Spacek starring as uh, Loretta Lynn. Um, and the the weird thing was that uh, Loretta Lynn got to choose who was going to play her. 
and she hadn't been famous that long. This movie was made in like 1980, I believe, with with mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones starring in it. And the reason that Loretta Lynn chose Sissy Spacek to play her was that Sissy could actually sing just like her. Hmm. And when they shot the film, they didn't just re- you know have her uh, you know lip syncing and then dub it in later. All of the actual music performances in the film are the actual live raw audio of them performing that take in the movie. Uh, so wow. uh, yeah, it definitely like I, that. That's true. that makes that's what sets <laughs> apart movies like that. Exactly, exactly. That that they're willing to to provide that level of authenticity, so that it's not just a superhero movie or it's not just a biopic about a rock star. You know. Yeah. Ca- doing karaoke like or, or lip syncing to like the like the Queen movie is going to be him lip syncing to fucking Freddie Mercury. Singing. Exactly. Um, but and that was a great thing about Walk the Line is that Joaquin Phoenix uh learned to sing for that movie and fucking kills it. Like he suppose there's there was a story from the production of that movie that for the longest time they had to kind of like base essentially raise uh all the songs up like two or three uh steps like th- two or three half steps uh because he couldn't sing that low and then somehow at the end his voice just kind of clicked and he if you listen to him he sounds great it doesn't quite sound like Johnny Cash but it's like same registry it's it's like a really good approximation if you weren't like listening to them side by side Mm -hmm. uh and they in that movie they do all the performances live too and i think that really is the thing that a lot of movies that with music like make the mistake of not doing oh exactly well i guess just the fact that that uh coal miner's daughter did that in 1980 you know when audio yeah that's probably one of the first movies or the first movie to do that yeah well and it's it doesn't it it's like she gets married to a guy when she's 13 and on their wedding night he basically rapes her like it's not a not a pretty portrayal either. It's it's definitely you know pretty dark for uh, for what it is. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Across the Universe actually is another movie that uh, that did that with the with the live recording of the vocals that I think mm-hmm. really benefited from that. That's another great. Well, movie. it's like David touches on a lot of elements yeah. of like Vietnam and things like that. That uh, again, um, you know, David Fincher. He's known for all the gritty darkness, but what he really does well is prolonged dialogue scenes that feel realer than real. These scenes in Mindhunter, uh, it's on Netflix now, where it's just them talking about a murder for twenty minutes straight without a without a, a break of that scene. Um, and he shoots dialogue scenes with always with two cameras rolling at the same time. So you can have little hand movements that get picked up on both cameras. You watch Fight Club and you, you know, he shot everything with at least two, all the conversations with at least two cameras. So you have this beautiful continuity uh, where if, if, if one actor does a thing, you catch it from two angles at the same time. And you can cut on those moments. And again, it just it makes it feel like real life uh, in a way that... Um, just chopping up different parts of two different conversations we'll never have. Yeah. And, you know, and I actually, when I shot my uh, film, like shortly after I left film school, I shot with two or three cameras at a time, almost in like a sitcom setup, like where, where you had a camera on each person, then a wide shot. Right. And I did that because I wasn't really well versed in, in how movies are made, but it, it like, I genuinely, if I do make another movie, I would do it the same way because it really, there's something to be said for using entire scenes, like one take of an entire scene rather than that, you know, well, we'll shoot you from behind and then you'll just mimic your lines, but you don't really say mm-hmm. them. And then we're going to cut it together. There's, there's something, there's an artifice to that, that you, you pick up on, even if you don't realize it yeah. um, when you're watching a movie and there's something great about, even if it, there's like a little flub in the performance watching 
almost like a, an entire scene like it's like you're watching a stage show like the i think there's a lot of there's a lot to be said for that i think oh absolutely yeah i i also went to film school and uh when i shot my grad thesis it was the first traditional narrative uh piece i'd done and i didn't want to do anything prior to that cuz I didn't think I was going to be good enough because you see so many terrible, you know, uh, student shot films that just it's like, ah, the editing's terrible. The dialogue's terrible. I want to get really good before I try to really do a a standard thing. But I I insist on shooting on actual film. So, of course, I did not have the budget to shoot on two cameras at once. Um, I think what I walked away with was... uh, you know, it's I went to a no, film school. Yeah, I went to a film school to learn how to shoot on film, right? And if you want to do that, it's definitely expensive, but it looks fucking amazing. Yeah. It does, yeah. No, absolutely. I'll tell you what though. Some of the shit they're using now, like the red or like the the Alexa oh, yeah. Ari, like yeah. those fucking cameras. And of course, we would never in our million in a million years be able to afford to shoot with them because they're like thirty, forty thousand oh, dollars cameras. Just but... just the insurance to rent one oh, for a day. It, it like gives me fucking heartache to even think oh, about like holding one it of was those. Like to so when you when you want to shoot on location, right? You yeah. just to be able to shoot pretty much anywhere besides your own house, you have to have insurance, right? In case some bystander walks by and trips over a cable, light falls on them and burns them to death, you've got to have liability insurance for everybody on that set. Now, and to rent film equipment, you've got to cover, you have to have insurance to cover the total replacement cost of that camera. So it's, it's like the, you know, like Nike doesn't even own their own cameras. They're owned by somebody else and they just rent them out when they want them because even Nike can't afford to own their own cameras for their yeah. own film shoots. It's, it's unbelievably expensive and, and cost prohibitive. And I understand why a, a company doesn't want to take a risk and spend, uh, you know, a quarter of a million or half a billion dollars on a movie if it's not going to bring the most amount of money back to it. You know, that's a huge investment. It's a very costly so, endeavor. To get something as good as Logan. You know the odds against that something that good happening on film for us uh, is just more to the credit of the filmmakers and everyone committed to making that happen um, because th- there is a huge system of money trying to prevent good films. Yeah, and and which is why we see time and time again Hollywood goes with the safe bets, which are the you know uh, benign but fair, but decent. Uh, superhero sequels and things like that and they never take chances on yeah you know the really fucking good indie movies which is why it's great that a lot of like little companies like a24 and blumhouse are coming around picking those movies up but it's nice to see i think the reason we're highlighting logan's because it did slip through the cracks of the studio system where it's like this is made by this massive studio and it's like a fucking piece of art house cinema you know featuring this you know ip character It's, it's kind of it's it's a unique beast so i don't i don't think we'll be able to talk about a movie like that too often but i'm glad that it was made because hopefully it'll lead to further movies like that in the future the other thing that has been credited to this film is um giving the characters these two characters a fitting end to their arc because you know Mm. they're never going to kill off captain you know captain america or iron man with as much money as they're making and sure. they're just going to keep churning it out and they might still be good. But then it's just like, you know, eventually the, the actors don't really want to do it, but the money's there. And it's like the, 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 the magic of what they do is not as good anymore. And this was definitely the high note for 
uh, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, you know, uh, by far, but a very different kind of film at the same time, too. And the kind of ending where you go, that was, I, I don't need to see this again for a while. Like, maybe you reboot it again in, in 15 years of the whole new thing. But this was this was the end of, of this actor and this character's arc for 20 years, 21 years. Um, yeah. And I think they're not going to do that. I almost feel like the 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 ending the stories, the, the this story the way they did it was almost a lesson to Hollywood to say, "Hey, don't do too much of this, or you'll ruin it." And we've seen Hollywood and, and and television ruin a good thing over and over and over by not knowing when to end it right, or, or at all. Yeah. Well, the well the best. I mean, we've talked, I think, on other podcasts or maybe just off the air about how all the best. Uh, series know when to call it a quits. I mean, you look at Breaking Bad, did exactly. not at all overstay its welcome. Five seasons and out. Halt and Catch Fire. Ending. Halt and Catch Fire. Perfect four seasons. Four seasons? Four seasons that were absolutely perfect. You could, you could That show ends and you're like, I don't want to see any more of this. I'm going to go back and rewatch these four seasons over and over because every episode is flawless and you, you leave them wanting more so that you love what you had uh, all, the, all the more. Yeah, uh, Leftovers is another series that three seasons, ten episodes, so only thirty, you know, thirty episodes. Yeah, total, you've been telling me about that one. I, I do need to catch that. It's it's it, it, it's it's as dour as Logan, or probably more so, <laughs> but it, it does also have that kind of gallows humor to it. But it, it's really fucking good. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, if anyone who's anyone who listens to this uh, who has HBO Go, go check it out. The Leftovers, or, really, as my ex calls it, Hobogo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right um yeah so um uh in terms of ratings uh are we both in agreement five hammer and sickles out of five hammer and sickles uh i give it a a half a sickle yeah it's you know it's not it's still not high art i think it's it's uh it's an a plus for the genre um i would give it 4.7 hammer and sickles Hammers oh, and you fucking come what? on now. <laughs> you fucking nitpicking point three. It's not, I mean, it's it's not which part Paul of the, which Thomas part of the hammer or this. <laughs> yeah, so it's not uh, fucking yeah. up its own ass. No, I'm just kidding. Um no, it's it's which great. part of the hammer and sickle I, are we gonna hack off to <laughs> take it to the point three Well, I mean the sickle is kind of like a claw, so we gotta have all of that. Um I'll I'll shave it an inch off the the bottom of the handle of the hammer. And uh, I'll bump it up to so still... a four point eight. All right, is all right, that, all right, is that fair enough? You're gonna give it a five out of five. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it a five out of five. I, you right. know, I, it, it, I I can't really judge these against the other movies we've rated. It's just how I feel. Like I don't have any major complaints about this movie. Like there, there's nothing that I was like, oh well, that was really fucking dumb. Like I, I think it was, you know, n- no movie's a perfect movie, but there was nothing in this movie that I was, that I was like. Well, I wish they had done this differently. And, you know, a lot of times a film like this will get dissed for the second act lagging, you know, and it's like none of that. None of you need a breather. You know, I loved how it lagged, like with the farm thing. That was such a great well, the, little, that was, you know, you know character exploration. That happened because of those robot trucks almost causing a terrible accident. They come together by chance, and then that's ultimately their undoing, right? Um, yeah. it, but you needed that to happen. You needed to have something that would allow them to catch up to them. You know, the bad guys to catch up to the good guys. You needed to have basically the, um, something to close out that second act before 
the character is totally emotionally broken hits that critical uh, point where they have uh, you know it's like Indiana Jones getting sucked under the uh, the truck in in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark where it's like there's no way he can get out of this there's no way he can come back from this that's like the, the lowest point of that movie and then somehow he crawls back out of it like that's that is sort of the moment where uh, you know the the end of the second act. Um, it doesn't even feel like an, a second act. It doesn't even feel like the end of it. It's just, it's like still so action driven. When the action hits, you're like, holy fuck, this is, <laughs> this is still just like the most brutal, awful thing. Um, and some people did say yeah. it was exploitive, you know, like, oh, killing Professor X and how he thinks it's really Logan, but it's not. Oh, it's and like he confesses. Good... Like, I, I didn't think that was exploitive. That felt heartbreaking. Um, but it, it wasn't just to make us sad, it was to make us value you know, an hour prior when they were having dinner together as a family. Yeah. yeah no, I, I think this was the perfect send off for both of those characters. Um, I, 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 you know, I definitely do. So yeah. Um, that's the show for this week. Uh, in the next week or so, we're going to probably be doing uh, demolition man. So if you haven't seen that, uh, go check that <laughs> out. Talk about Much high art film. <laughs> yeah. Right. Speaking of high art, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't know how to use comes... the three seashells. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's gonna be fun oh man that'll be fun um so yeah uh go watch that uh eat some taco bell um <laughs> you, you have to it's the only restaurant you, you, yeah you don't really have a choice because uh, the, the the communists have taken over uh, society well look what a great society is though it's all clean there's no litter it's perfect we'll, we'll get into let's, let's not jump the gun on that one but uh so yeah, uh, check us out uh, on the main show. We'll have a lot to talk about this week. Uh, SoundCloud.com/slash/MoveLeft. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash/MoveLeftIdiots. Um, we're on Teespring. If you want to help support the show, uh, Teespring.com/slash/MoveLeft. You can pick up uh, merch, you know, some T-shirts, merch, uh, tote bags, coffee mugs, anything you want with our logo on it except for uh, a, a, a bottle opener keychain apparently we don't have the power to have that yet but uh, we're working I on it yeah. our, our uh, we'll, staff we'll, of unpaid we'll interns there. are trying to work on the uh, keychain bottle research opener research and development is hard at work on that <laughs> indeed uh, yeah uh, I'm on twitter at move underscore left and I'm on twitter at chaos riot 1999 don't report me <laughs> and we will see you next time I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole the old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away 
I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair full of broken thoughts I cannot repair beneath the stains of time the feelings disappear you are someone else I am still right here what have I become my sweetest friend everyone I know goes away 